You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Everyone take a seat. Class is about to begin. It's time for the Star Seminar. Here are your hosts, Rebel Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome to the Star Seminar. I'm your host, Rebel Rouser, and with me here every week is my good buddy, Danny Phantom. Danny, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Rabs. I am so ready for this. Um, you know, full disclosure, this is not my new favorite part of the week. I uh, not only get to talk about my favorite subject in the world, which is, of course, the Dallas Cowboys, but I get to do it with you. We get to hang out, play some games, have some cool guests join us, and hopefully stumble upon some learning moments for ourselves or hopefully our listeners. It's going to be a blast for sure, and I am really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to get back in the saddle after after about a five-year hiatus from podcasting. and I, I, I just know I'd rather be doing it within you, buddy, so you know, this is going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to this. I'm, it's so glad to have you back, Rabs, and I, it's so glad to have you back with me, so super happy about that, you know. I wanted to mention that if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging the Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever get your, you get your podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, tell us what you think, anything you would like to see us do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you want to talk to us about anything at all, Cowboys Hot Topics, roster concerns, or what was your favorite Super Bowl halftime show, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Phantom 24 and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. Rabs, what is your favorite Super Bowl halftime show? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, so this is there's a, uh, there's a story behind that. Um, in 1992, I lived in San Diego, and obviously the Cowboys were uh, having a Super Bowl year there, the, the Jimmy Johnson Cowboys' first Super Bowl, and I was going crazy with delight all year long. And the Super Bowl that year was played in Los Angeles at the Rose Bowl. So I actually tried about five different ways to, to try to get a Super Bowl ticket. And I, like there was a church nearby that was having a raffle for a Super Bowl ticket. I bought a bunch of tickets there for that. Um, there was like, you know, people who were, who were, like there was different contests online and things like that that I tried to enter, or not online, but on the air at radios, uh, radio stations, et cetera, um, to no avail. I didn't get a ticket. So I decided that day I was just going to drive up alone. I, I had, I took like a thousand dollars out of my bank account, put it in my pocket and drove up to LA, found parking and hung around the Rose Bowl until I could get a seat. So I, I managed to get a ticket, still had some money left in my pocket and went in and watched the most glorious Super Bowl game of my life wow. and wow. the best to my, to, uh, for my money, the best Super Bowl halftime 
uh, of all time, which was Michael Jackson. So I was in I was in the end zone where Jay Novacek scored the first touchdown of the oh, game for the yeah. Cowboys. So I, I, it was actually his the angle of his of his route came right at me. Oh, so nice. so that what that means was I was on the opposite end um, of the field from the big scoreboard. Um, and that big scoreboard was where Michael Jackson, like there was like a video on the board and then he, and then there's like fireworks on the video and then he popped up on top of the board or at least somebody who looked like him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Not I think it was convinced to the state that was it. I think it was a double, a, a, a dance double, but, but it was such a great moment. And, you know, and then he played, you know, a medley of all of his hits and uh, it was wind machines and, you know, the Cowboys had a 28 to 10 lead and it was just like, everything was perfect. It was such a great, such a great halftime show. Um, so that was the that's the one for me. That is, I mean, that's just that's an amazing story. That's uh, did you pay thirty thousand dollars for your ticket? If, if you don't mind me asking, <laughs> I did not. No, I paid. I paid. Uh, this is in nineteen ninety two, and the Super Bowl was a big thing, but not that big. I paid like seven fifty, I think, for mine. Yeah, that is a uh, yeah. That Michael Jackson show was incredible too. I know exactly what you're talking about, where he pops out, and then you think he's up there, but then he pops out over here, and uh, exactly, uh, just, yeah. But uh, that that is the right answer answer rabs for sure um and of course being the cowboys being super bowl i mean that's just a, a, a great memory i'm gonna go you know just to show you how different we are i'm gonna give a probably not a, a popular answer you know by many but i really loved the it was i think it was the 2000 2000 season it was i loved the aerosmith and in sync and uh britney spears the little medley they did i don't know if you remember the show or not uh you know it's just because you know you know we wouldn't figure that those guys would be you know playing together but i thought they did a good job the way they it was very contrasting i, I love contrasting music when when you have things go like that i think nelly came out with his little two-tone jersey you know the ravens giants thing and did a little skip thing I, I just thought it was a great show and you know it may be a little bit cheesy for for some but uh yeah it was uh that's that's a halftime show that uh sticks out to me so before we welcome in Landon, uh, I want to play a quick game. So uh, we're going to be playing games every now and again on this podcast. And uh, one of them is uh, we're calling Our Days Are Numbered. And this is how it works. So we're going to select a random number between 191 and 99 and discuss some of the players in Cowboys history who wore that number. Uh, the interesting thing here is that my wife is the random number generator. I asked her to name a number between 1 and 99, and she said 72. So this week we're going to talk about people who wore the number 72. Uh, I can think of a couple. Um, who do you who do you have uh, as, as a 72 that leaps to mind, Danny? Uh, you know, I'm not going to go right into the, you know, the, I'll save the best for last, but... Uh, you know, one of the biggest 72s for me is uh, is Travis Frederick. Um, you know, he was the draft pick that no one saw coming. You know, you might remember that that whole uh, fiasco is why uh, Will McClay, you know, has the power he has. Uh, you know, and I learned a very important lesson that year is that, uh, you know, people that have third-round grades on players, it, it doesn't mean anything, you know. So, it, uh, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're a good player and a team likes you, then, you know, you're the pick. And uh, that's definitely what Travis Frederick was, you know, he was the, the best center in the draft. Um, and he, you know, it's a, it's a shame that, uh, his career was, you know, cut short with, uh, the Gillen Barham syndrome that he had. And I, I don't know if you agree raps, but you think he's easy hall of famer if he, uh, you know, has a playing career and it's not cut short. I think so. I mean, center is not exactly a glamor position, so he would have had to continue at that same pace for a while. I think that, um, if you're going to be a center, you have to have some, 
some length of service, but I, I think so. I mean, he was, he was the, you know, the best center in the game and, and could play with both finesse and power. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I was very, very unhappy when they made that pick and I'm, I'm very glad to have been wrong. Very glad to have been wrong. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me throw out a 72. That's a personal favorite of mine. Um, played for the Cowboys in the um, like mid 2000s. Uh, and that's Stephen Bowen. So Stephen Bowen, um, you know, was was like I think they, I think they brought him as a free agent. He's one of those guys where the, the scouting department did some extra work, found found Stephen Bowen, slapped seventy two on him, and he was pretty much a rotational defensive tackle. But he was part of a really really fierce pass rush when when the Cowboys had a three four, and then on passing situations they would go to a four man front, and he would come in, and, and Jay Ratliff would kick over. And sometimes Jason Hatcher would kick inside and they still have, obviously they had Ware, and I think they saw Greg Ellis. So like in 2008 and nine, the Cowboys defense had a really, really impressive pass rush. And Stephen Bowen was a really big part of that before he, his contract ran out and he went and got paid by the Redskins. So, was, you know, one of those guys that actually, when I heard the number 72, believe it or not, he was the first dude that I thought of. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, you're right. I mean, they were so deep. I, I honestly, I had to think about like, who is this? Who is this player and uh but yeah i mean because they just yeah they were so deep on the defensive line back then and so um yeah that was a pretty deep group uh some some good uh power in the middle speaking of power in the middle um that's what the cowboys thought they were going to get when they drafted uh tristan hill um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and of course he's never been able to uh you know live up to to what the Cowboys expected out of him. Uh, the one th- thing that I learned from that draft in particular too is, is that whispers within the last 48 hours leading up to the draft are, are monumental because that's when you started like, you know, thing. And I don't even know the, how that happens, Rabs. I mean, it's I don't know if other organizations do this, but it's like when we start to know the pick, like you know, Leighton Vanderess, we knew that was happening, right? And then then Tristan Hill started, you know, the buzz started coming with him like in the in the last. You know, day before the draft, it's just super crazy. Um, and, yeah, he started to show himself a little bit, but he just, you know, and, of course, he got he got hurt last year and when he was really playing his best ball. Now he's in a, in a rotation with a lot of a lot of good guys in, in the middle there, so I don't even know what his, his career is going to hold there. But, so, yeah, there's Tristan Hill is another guy. Another defensive lineman, of course, and this is, you know, maybe the best 72 in Cowboys history uh, is Ed Tutel Jones. Who's that guy? So, Ed Tutel Jones? Who's that guy? Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the uh, you know, one of the, the really great stories in Cowboys history, uh, you know, we drafted out of a smaller college. I think it was like Middle Tennessee or something like that. Um, uh, you know, the first overall pick, the, the first, first overall pick in Cowboys history. And, um, you know, had a, had a, a long 10 plus year career that was interrupted for a year while he, we decided to pursue a boxing career, but he was just, you know, strong side and immovable, good pass rush for such a, a, a guy with such a, a sort of tall center of gravity. And of course, um, really good at, you know, batting down passes and clogging up passing lanes and, you know, very difficult to throw over and around because he had such a huge sort of pterodactyl-like wingspan. Yeah, and, so, and yeah, that, that's how they decided to keep track of batted down passes, I believe it was attributed to, to Too Tall. And, um, you know, what's weird is, um, you know, he never missed a game. I mean, besides, you know, his boxing hiatus, but he never missed a game. Uh, just played in every single game. You know, he so he played in... 
in nine games, 14 games, 15 games, and 16 games in a season. So you can probably now understand why he played in the 14 and the 16, because that's how many games there were those years. But what what about the nine and the 15? Well, what's up with that? Do you know why he only played in nine? The, the nine would have probably been the strike shortened year. Okay, that's that's the was that eighty-one. That was uh, eighty-two. No, no, 82. no, eighty-two. Eighty-two. Yeah. Eighty-two. Yeah, the strike shortened year. Uh, what's fifteen? 15, that's interesting. Fifteen. What's up with that? Um, it, it is actually the eighty-seven season, which they canceled. It was also strike related, and oh, they can, right, they end up like course. canceling a, a, a week, so they only got fifteen games of of football. But Ed Ed Tutal played them all. He he, uh, so he crossed he crossed the picket lines and played, yeah, played the full he, season. Yeah, he was not missing missing a game. Mm-hmm. You know his career high is uh you know thirteen sacks. That's his career mm-hmm. high sacks. Do you know who uh, had thirteen sacks this year? Oh. I don't. Hey, Micah. Who 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 could have had <laughs> thirteen sacks Micah. this year? <laughs> so yeah, so Micah's already got two tall career high, so nice. And we cannot forget that Too Tall was a guest referee at WrestleMania too. We have to mention that in there as as well, so but yeah, definitely the best seventy-two of all time, in my opinion. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Talking about those numbers seventy-two was kind of a walk down memory lane. Uh, we're actually not done with that walk, uh, but we're going to be joined on that walk uh, with our first guest, uh, my good buddy Landon McCool. We're going to bring him on, talk a little bit about the Super Bowl, and then talk about some of our favorite Cowboy seasons from the past. Let's get Landon in here. I am thrilled beyond belief to welcome our first guest. And by first guest, I don't mean first in this podcast. I mean first in this podcast, <laughs> my good friend, the great Landon McCool. Landon, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I mean, uh, you know, I'm still like a lot of Cowboys fans, kind of still licking my wounds a little, uh, especially I live in Los Angeles. Some people may not know. And, and so kind of watching this thing all unfold in front of me has been especially uh, disheartening but yeah other than that uh i'm excited to be here for sure and I'm certainly excited to talk to you guys so so for those of you who don't know um i did a podcast with landon years ago on blogging the boys he was my first podcast partner i think we cranked out a you know quite a few episodes together so um interestingly enough also dan's first podcasting opportunity uh was on the podcast that landon and i did so um mm-hmm. it just it really feels like that there was no better person to come and be the first guest on our podcast. It just sort of feels like we're all going full circle here. Like you know, in many ways you were the point of origin for this endeavor for both of us. And so uh, dude, I'm so happy to be here just chatting the, co- the Cowboys with you and chopping it up with you. Um, so just thanks so much for coming on and um, let's jump into it. Dan, you got yeah. a question for our good friend here? Yes, I do. All right. So uh, let's talk the Super Bowl. Um, yeah. Landon, uh, what was your overall impression of the game? Were you happy with the outcome? Did you really care? Just tell us what you think. You know, I think my overall out uh, takeaway from it was there was not a dominant team this year. There was no team that could, you know, that, that captured our attention and was the dominant team from start to finish or even throughout this playoffs. And, and frankly, I was kind of underwhelmed by, you know, the Rams specifically. I mean, I, I thought that the Bengals kind of played a lot, a lot closer game than I expected, but ultimately like what was the, 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 
when you watch a championship game, you expect the championship team to go and grab the brass ring and then and you know you know kind of hold it above their head and 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 say, hey, we're the we're the champs, like you know, and 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 really, it felt like one drive that determined the outcome of the game, and and outside of that, the Rams' offense was rather anemic. Um, you know, they weren't able to run the football. Uh, the Bengals did a good job of stopping them there. And then the Bengals offense also kind of just looked inept, especially at a certain point when they just couldn't block anything. Um, so I just, I, I, it was a good game because it was close, but it didn't feel like a championship game. And especially uh, in comparison to the rest of the playoffs, uh, it felt like kind of just an ordinary game that had a really awesome halftime show. Yeah, you know, it's funny because there was a sequence that uh, where the Bengals scored like 10 points in pretty rapid succession early in the second half after, tra- after trailing at halftime, you know. And so there was a, there was a, the, the sort of long pass, uh, you know, that was where the face, back, face mask penalty was not called. And then there was like the tipped interception. And frankly, at the time, I was feeling like both those plays were kind of lucky. Even the long pass, it didn't seem mm-hmm. like it was a particularly good throw. It seemed like, you know, Ramsey lost his balance in a, in a way that seemed to exceed the sort of movement of the face mask, you know what I mean? It just seems like he, yeah. he, he played it wrong and, and, and somehow got out of control. And it just sort of felt like it was one of those sort of lucky plays where a dude falls down. And, um, and so, so like even, even the Bengals, like, you know, sort of striking quickly and, and getting that lead back felt like it was just kind of fortunate. And it was really sort of outside their doing in a way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When, when you speak about, about this year and the fact that the, there was no clear, favorite uh in some ways talking about that way gives me a little bit of a platform so um i'm gonna i'm gonna be a, you know the, the old get off my lawn guy here but <laughs> i grew up in the era you know in the 80s and, and 90s when teams were winning super bowls by significant margins mm-hmm. and i know a lot of people bemoan you know the fact that um or actually that they don't bemoan at all they, they actually say this is a much more you know the super bowl is better now the games are closer etc but for the reason that you just talked about, I actually preferred those games. I like leaving the Super Bowl knowing, you know what? We have an undisputed champion here. I know mm-hmm. who the best team was. Because typically what was happening is that the team that won the Super Bowl oftentimes didn't have a bunch of squeakers on the way there as well, right? Yeah. I, I, they weren't playing a bunch of close games that were decided by the weird bounce of a ball, by a referee's call, by some dude falling down on, you know, on a shoddy part of the field. I mean, those are sort of like weird happenstance things that, that, that determine outcomes. Um, and, you know, as Brian Broaddus always talks about, determine jobs when, um, when games are close. And I love that. I mean, even, even if it was a team I hated, even if the Redskins or Giants were winning a Super Bowl, it, it, so, it, at some point I, I had to step back in admiration and go, that's a championship team. And, yeah. and increasingly – like I enjoy the regular season and as the season winds its way toward the Super Bowl, I become increasingly disenchanted because I'm convinced more and more that the teams that end up there end up there largely because of luck, because yeah. there's a couple of lucky bounces. The teams are all so close and the league obviously is constructed and the referees contribute to this uh, to yep. keep games close. And so, um, we, you know, we've talked about this a lot, close games. Um, our 50-50 proposition, regardless of the quality of the teams. And so, like, I, I was actually thinking the other day, when's the last time I, I left the Super Bowl and felt satisfied? I was like, that was, I mean, there's times that, you know, there's been times when it's, it's a good game. But, like, I really feel satisfied where I'm like, okay, I understand how that, I understand that season. This team was a great team. 
and it might be the Seahawks over the Broncos, which is 10 years ago, you know? Mm. I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I felt that way maybe a little bit with Kansas City when they won, you know, which was which wasn't so long ago. Um, but they almost you know, lost. I, I mean, I, like they were being dominated most of the game. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're right in the sense that I think the difference to me there is that Kansas City was that team for 99% of the year and then right, didn't right. play well in the Super Bowl. You know, and right. so like it's okay have you know some Super Bowl jitters and then kind of go back from that. But but the, but like for the Rams, it's like I think the issue for me was that you know if this was San Francisco that went in there and won the Super Bowl, I would have said, bravo, that's a championship year. They had a terrible regular season, but what they did is that they came into the playoffs and they dominated every single team that was ranked higher than them. Two of teams that were, that had home field advantage. Like that's a narrative that I can get behind that this team played like a championship team down the, down the stretch. I, I could get behind that for the Rams. It felt like they stumbled in their way into the Super Bowl. They, you know, they, they almost gave away that game against San Francisco and it just felt like it it wasn't as um, cohesive a performance uh, that, you know, that they, that they kind of put together top to bottom. And, you know, look, I mean, maybe we're just being nitpicky, but it, you know, at no point during the playoffs that I feel like, you know, they were an unstoppable force, I guess, you know, that was, they, they, it felt like it was constantly in that kind of push and pull of a 50, 50 game with them throughout the playoffs. Yeah. I, I think that's what really made it enjoyable for me. This whole, the whole playoffs is, is it just seems like teams just kept taking turns of being the, the best team. And honestly, I was just so shocked that since he was even there, but I mean, to me, the real Super Bowl was the Buffalo Kansas city game. I mean, that, that game was just phenomenal. You know, and of course, neither of those teams even make it to the yeah. yeah, so it's just crazy. And I think, you know, it kind of speaks to what Raps was saying. It's just like, it's great to come away with like, okay, this is the clear cut, you know, Super Bowl champion. But it's just the way the league is, you know, we don't really know. It's like year to year. It's just, there, you know, there's a lot of luck involved and who's healthy and who's just playing right the right time where the boy, the ball bounces and stuff. And I think cool. the Rams got the best, the last bounce really. Well, and that's the other thing, you know, is that you guys, we've been doing this long enough for seasons after seasons. I mean, I I was trying to figure it out the other day, like how long I've been actually following it like this closely. And it's been 15 years or something like that, 20 years, maybe, I don't know. Um, And the truth of the matter is, is that as much time as we spend, and this is what's really infuriating, I think, at times, right, is that as much time as we spend, you know, pouring over tape, watching these guys get better, watching watching college guys to see if they can come onto our teams to see if they can get better. Ultimately, at the end of the day, every, as every season goes on, it feels like more and more that we we talk about the Super Bowl champions. We say, hey, what did they do? And, and then we chase our tail trying to recalibrate uh, uh, everything that gets done because this team won the Super Bowl this last year. And, and, and we do this like they rediscovered the wheel this last season, when in reality is half these t- teams fumble and stumble their way into the playoffs and, and then they get, they get hot or they, uh, they're, they're, they're terrible for a regular season, but the rest of their division is good and suddenly they play well. It's just, there's so much 
flip of the coin that goes on for us to like study it and and kind of try to like you know glean some deep knowledge of football by a team that you know the ball bounced a couple a couple right ways and that's why they won i just think that there is just a, a very kind of i don't know futile nature of the of of observing the game it's it's like it's like a, a schrodinger you know it's like the art of observing it is affecting it somehow <laughs> and 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 like why by by watching it we are we are getting this idea that like, oh, this is the way to, and, and it's not just us, the teams do it too, right? They watch the Super Bowl champions and they think, oh, no, no, the owners come to the GM's office and like, oh, this is the way that we need to do it. Look how they did it. Well, they're like, well, we don't, we don't have a free agency based uh, player acquisition system. We're a draft from within. And then the owner's like, no, change gears. This is the way to do it. So I just think that ultimately what my take on all of this is is that find a way to acquire good players find a way to match that those players with a, a, a scheme that works and i think if you try to constantly shift gears or 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 make it reactions based on super bowl champions you're really just kind of you know, sitting yourself in motion of never being good at any one thing and always kind of chasing a, the a dragon that is based largely on, like they said, the fact that the ball is, is an odd shape and it bounces in a different way. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Speaking. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the oblong ball is both a very real part of the game and a metaphor for the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you may, you may have just answered my next question. Um, so one of the things that one of the things that happens every year in the wake of the Super Bowl is that fans of the you were just talking about fans and, and front offices of the other 31 teams start to play the like what do they got that we ain't got game. You were just sort of mm-hmm. talking about it in terms of a team building perspective. I think we'll get to that in a moment as well. And we've certainly seen no shortage of that in Cowboy Land this week. So I guess so my question is if you if you would be so kind as to indulge us, what do the Rams have that Dallas lacks, if anything? Like, is there something we, we can learn from this? Or is it, or is it really that, that, that Jerry needs to go to Will McClay and say, we need to be luckier? I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's tweaks. I, I think it's, I think there are some things. I think, you know, I think the Cowboys can be slightly more aggressive in, and we talked about it on, on our show today. The, we, the Cowboys can be slightly more aggressive uh, in kind of these sort of deals that, especially in the, the, free agent, well, not the free agent, the veteran market, the veteran trade market specifically, right? Like, like they should be less concerned about trading away fifth and sixth round uh, picks for opportunities for veterans that could come in and maybe they make your team better. Maybe they don't. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the Robert Quinn kind of deal like that, that to me, they need to do more of that. And I know that those aren't, aren't always opportunities that are available, um, but I, I think, you know, a, a, an uptick in that would be helpful. But but outside of that, you know, I, I mean, we complain about it all the time. I think that this team acquires talent fine, you know. Like, I, I mean, I, I, I think that they are one of the few teams that has had some kind of consistent success in drafting, especially up high. Um, and, and that seems to work for them. So I, I don't think that the Cowboys should like necessarily, like I said, necessarily try to swing the other way just because 
uh, the, the Rams sort of, uh, you know, went all in, quote unquote, I, I think that they could definitely, you know, kind of adjust that way a little bit, because I think that there are going to be, there's going to start to be an arms race to a large degree, right? Because I think there are going to be more teams trying to kind of go all in and, and, and center around a potentially trade for a veteran quarterback and then, then build like a, a, you know, an all-star contender team. It's, it's sort of an NBA model almost. Right. Uh, but I think for the most part, it, it, it's more important to just, you know, kind of try to continually to put it, when it if it's really a game of luck then it's more important to just continually try to put yourself in striking distance of being in the playoffs and then you know tr- you know try to make a move here or there to put you over the top and then s- just see if it, it plays out i think there are five or six no probably seven quarterbacks eight quarterbacks on this league that are good enough to to win a super bowl right do what you can to get one of those quarterbacks and then put a, a talented team around it I don't care if you have to trade all your picks for veteran players to do that. I don't care if you have to draft them all and and, and sign your own to do that. I, I think whatever works better for you is, is probably going to work out. And then matching that with, with the coaching staff. I think that's the part where the Cowboys have had issues, you know, in the past, or at least the recent past is that making sure that the talent fits what your needs are on, on offensive defense and, 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 you know, kind of, getting the most out of the talent that you are acquiring. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Landon, so if you had to choose just on a roster building perspective to be like the Dallas Cowboys or the Super Bowl champion Rams, which would you prefer? You're going to go with, with the Cowboys? I, I, I really do think it doesn't. I don't think the methodology matters. I think what matters is, are you good at the methodology you're using? If you have a great, if you have a great scouting staff, then draft and, and, and use those draft picks and, and, and treat them like gold and, and don't do that. If you, you have a good quarterback, but you don't, you don't have time, then, then trade those draft picks away. They aren't going to do you any good. Get them, you know, use them to kind of get, obtain these talents and then do your best to kind of fill it in with middling talent. I think top heavy can work. I think talent throughout can work. I, I, I just don't, I, I don't believe in the idea that there's one way to skin this cat. Like I just, I refuse to believe that. So I, I like the Dallas method because that's what I'm familiar with. But I also think that it, we, we can't sit here and say that there's like, you know, only one way to do this. I think it's about leaning into the talents that you have on your staff. And that, that means not just the, the players, but that means the coaches and, and, and the scouting staff as well. I think one I mean, of the, at, one of the, real yeah, quick look at Cincinnati. I mean, look at what Cincinnati has done. Cincinnati is a is a is a small. <laughs> if there's a small market team, it's Cincinnati. It's a family run organization. Cincinnati is very similar to what the Cowboys do. It's it's a, a tight knit group. They trust their scouts. They give them a lot of power in that building to to kind of get, get this. They don't have a, a large crew or anything, but they built themselves some roster that was capable of getting them all the way to the Super Bowl and they went toe to toe with this team, this super, you know, super roster that the Rams built. So uh yeah, I, I like I said, I think the, the Super Bowl, if anything, reveals that that's it's possible to do it either way. Yeah. And, and the Bengals too, you know, they they haven't had a lot of good players. So had, they had a lot of extra money to you know available to pay. So they really were active in free agency too. So they did, you know, that did well in the draft, you know, pick two great play offensive players and then Couple that with some some free agent spending, and there you go. So I totally agree with you. And I, honestly, it annoys me that people 
Well, I mean, the Cowboys are good at what the Cowboys do. I mean, I agree. That's the yeah. way the Cowboys should go about it. And I just, I don't know. To me, the Rams, it worked out for them. But I certainly wouldn't look at that model and say, that's that's the way you do it. And, but you're right, though. If that's what you do well, then that's that's the way you should approach it. If any, if anything, the thing we can look at the Cowboys and say, "Ooh, there, there's a, there's a missed opportunity." It's, it's who they drafted when they did have top ten picks in terms of the, the positions they drafted. You know, I think that if, if I have a top ten pick, what I'm hoping for every time is someone who, you know, who plays one of those difference making positions. And so to come away with a running back and what we thought at the time was an off ball linebacker who very well may end up being a starting defensive end soon. Um, you know, it feels like it doesn't have the same impact as getting a quarterback and a, and a wide receiver. Like the, like yeah, the, I, 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 the only thing I would argue, too, is that, you know, Parsons is a good example of, of not knowing what you're getting sometimes, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. So you don't want to miss on opportunities like that, too. Because, like, look, I, do you, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, do you think the Jaguars are totally satisfied that they drafted Jalen Ramsey? I mean, at the way things ended up? I, no, I don't think not. they are. So, I mean, I think circumstance matters in these situations. A lot mm-hmm, of times. Mm-hmm. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, uh, let's let's transition if we can. Uh, That's some really great stuff on the Super Bowl. Um, What we'd like to do now is transition to... Uh, to play a game. So uh, on this podcast, we're going to have segments where we play a little game with, with our guests. And uh, we have a bunch of games in store for you. This one's called Top 3. So this is how it works. Really complicated. Uh, each of us is going to list the top three something. It can be a team, a player, whatever. Uh, and we're going to compare and argue over our various lists. So today's uh, lists are as follows. Uh, we've been hearing uh, for 25 years now, how it's all about the Lombardies and we're taught that a year without a championship is a year wasted. So uh, by extension, the Cowboys have wasted more than a generation's worth of years, right? We hear this <laughs> all the time on, on Twitter. So uh, listen, I'm no optimist, but I think it's useful in situations like this to practice finding the good in what can be too easily labeled disappointing seasons. So to that end, I'd like for each of you to name your three favorite non-championship Cowboy seasons. And one of the three has to be a non-playoff year. So uh, if you could do that, we'll, we'll start from number three and, and go to number one. And then uh, what about each of them makes it a personal favorite? Um, so let's, let's take turns listing them in reverse order. What's your number, what's your number three here, Landon? 
Man, uh, my number three. So one. So one of them has to be non-playoff uh, year, A right? Non-playoff year, yes. Um, okay, I may need help on on season. What you what it is, but I'm pretty sure 2016. I think is my answer. Uh, the, the last or no, no, wait, hold on. 2016. That was Dak's first year as Correct. a rookie, right? Okay, so I would. Yeah, that's number three. We're going backwards. So yeah. Uh, I, I would say that that's that's uh, number three. That was an incredible year, um, just because of you know for the unbridled optimism of 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 stumbling, knowing that we had kind of stumbled into another quarterback somehow. Uh, the youth of the team, the, the how incredible that draft class clearly. I mean, you could tell automatically right then and there that that class was really going to be special. Um, and then just, you know, the way, even though it, it didn't end exactly, obviously how we wanted, I mean, none of these seasons ended God exactly how we wanted, but I, I think, uh, you know, it was one of the seasons that you walked away from feeling great, despite the fact that you didn't win the Super Bowl because you knew that the future was bright. You had a young, uh, uh, uh quarterback, a young offensive core and a lot of talent going into the next year. Uh, so you felt like you were going to be contenders for for uh, for a couple of different years, and and so that I, I think that definitely was one of my favorites. And then of course the next year the Eagles backdoored into a Super Bowl. That's right. That's, <laughs> you know, I mean, geez, like what, who could have predicted that? I, right, I mean, seriously, it, it, it changes so quickly. Dan, what's your number three? So you know, kind of keeping with the the theme there. So I'm I'm getting my non play playoff gear out of the way. It will be my my worst of the three um you know it was the you know the moment where you you started to feel like you had something good you know and Landon was talking about when you know the changing of the guards with Prescott for me it's going to be the 1990 season um it's the seven and nine season it's following the one and 15 season that they had in, in Jimmy's first year and I think that was kind of for me it was like that's the time that we knew that this is a good coach he's actually going to turn this thing around um, you know, you, we had a young quarterback and I, I am certain that the Cowboys would have made the playoffs that year had Aikman not got hurt. And then we had to go with, you know, Babe Laufenberg the last couple games. And, mm. you know, that, that, uh, did not go so well for, for poor Babe. And, um, but you know, we had, it was Emmett's rookie year. He, you know, he had a great season. It was like, we knew right there we had something with Emmett Smith, a lot of young players. Um, you know, we had some, like Ken Norton Jr. And then. Jack Del Rio, who are both defensive coordinators, right? You know, yeah. in the league right now. So uh, just a uh, so to me that I'm gonna go with that year as my non-playoff year, just because I knew that you know good things were were coming. I like that choice a lot, and I it's coming up later in my list actually. Oh, uh, hmm. but my 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 number three is actually going to be the 2003 season, which was Parcells first year. So if you remember. Uh, and it's hard to remember because we've, we've worked so hard to forget the three previous years, of course, were all five and 11 years. This roster was devoid of talent. They had traded away first round picks on the Joey Galloway trade and, and you know, and then ended up, you know, in, in, in terms of record, um, giving Seattle like, you know, a couple of top seven picks as a result. And so that, uh, I mean, he came in and the cupboard was bare. And, and the fact that he was able to take Quincy Carter and Darren Hambrick and uh, Troy Hambrick and, um, or was it Darren? No, it's, it's Troy. Troy. It's Troy. Troy. It's Troy. Troy. Yeah, um, and and somehow squeeze some uh, you know a, a long series of victories out of them. I think after after a 
season opening loss to the Falcons. I think they then turned around and won like five or six in a row. And it was just every time was more unbelievable. And I kept like leaving the game, whether I go watch in a sports bar, you know, watch it at home, I'd leave the game with this like dumbfounded grin on my face because I could not believe the magic that this sorcerer was weaving. And so um, obviously it didn't turn out great. Uh, but they, you know, they, they, they beat the Eagles on that, uh, you know, a, a close game uh, thanks to the Randall Williams, like onside kick, kickoff return. It was just a crazy, great season. Um, you know, I think the league caught up to them and they, they, they finished pretty, pretty poorly. I actually went to the, the Thanksgiving game against the Dolphins where they got, you know, North Turner was the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins and they got absolutely shredded. And it was sort of obvious then, okay, okay, this team has gone about as far as they can, but it was, a, it was a great, great season great season danny uh let's move on to our number two so what's your uh, number two season my number two so i'm gonna go with the 2007 season um for me you know we started i think we started off we were 12 and one that year but the whole year was just filled with excitement it was like romo's first year as starting quarterback um it was also the first year that we had my favorite coach that's ever coached for the cowboys join the roster with uh you know Jason Garrett and um you know the whole season it's like you know early on we were kind of teetering with losing you know the the Buffalo game was just a thriller that Monday night thriller um so I mean it was just it kind of built up like this is it this is a good team you know we uh, we were the one seed I believe you know of course you know things did not go Didn't so great out. yeah but uh just a lot of uh you know a lot of uh good games and uh, you know you could really tell that this is you just felt like the, you know, there was a lot of good uh, seasons coming with with this group. Um, you know, Julius Jones and Marion Barber, you know, those guys were, you know, one two punch. A lot of Pro Bowlers, the Cowboys had. Um, a lot of people talk about the offense; they had a really good offense, but a lot of defensive players and just uh, role playing players. And so, yeah, I just think, uh, yeah, I just that was a a year definitely disappointing. Uh, feels a little similar. Um, to, to this year, but it's uh, we. I think the pieces were in place. We definitely it was an opportunity where we were one of the teams that could have taken home the the trophy that year. Yeah, uh, that was that was a, a great great season. Um, of course, that was a season where New, New England went undefeated. So I think even though we had aspirations to come out of the NFC, I think a lot of people thought, oh boy, it's going to be tough to to deal with that New England juggernaut. It turns out. Turns out that never happened. Um, my no, my number two, uh, as I suggested earlier, is the 1990 season for all the reasons that you that you um, just shared with us, Danny. I remember very distinctly watching the Thanksgiving game against the Redskins that year, and um, the Redskins, you know, had been a premier team for quite a while. Um, Joe Gibbs is still the coach, and they they were to go on and win the Super Bowl the following year, even. And um, those stars that had started to grow up at, over the course of the year, and they the second half of that game just sort of took the Redskins apart. Emmett scored on a long run. Troy and Michael had several connections and the defense was under sort of undersized and didn't have enough talent yet, but they played really hard and played really well. And so I, I remember seeing that and, and just thinking, Oh my God, these kids are legit. This, these kids are good. And, and, and I didn't miss a cowboy game. Like I, I rearranged my work schedule. I rearranged everything in my life. To, to not miss a Cowboy game for probably the next like 12 to 15 years. And it was really as a result of that game and, and that, and that season. I loved it. Landon, what's your number two? So, I think my number two is, 
the this is my obviously obviously my non playoff year um, is the two thousand. I gotta make sure. The, I think the two thousand and one season. Uh, is it the, really? Yes, because it was such a dumpster fire that. It, 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 at the time, and this is this is let me be clear. This is a personal uh, personal choice because it was such a dumpster fire. Uh, you know, going through that season with, I mean, that was the year of Ryan Leaf and Sterner, and uh, I'm looking at them because I couldn't remember all of them. Anthony Wright, and of course, ultimately uh, Quincy Carter. Uh, it, it was just such a dumpster fire of a year that it it was like in such a low point for uh my cowboys fandom that uh it's it's one of those things where like i go back and i remember uh, I, i'm pretty sure that was the year of of hard knocks too right that i and i think that there was that the year before it doesn't matter anytime i see any 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 footage from that year or from from any time that uh dave campo was head coach uh it reminds me of how bad it can be um, and so I, I think at that point, you know, after that season, I, it was the first time that I actually truly evaluated, um, you know, my, my fandom of this team <laughs> because it was so just disgusting and disturbing and, and just so awful. And, and at the time, um, I was living in Tampa and Tampa was, 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 you know, about to win a Super Bowl championship. So, um, I think there's a nostalgia factor for me to kind of look back at my worst moment as a Cowboys fan, you know, uh, and, 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 and kind of, and if, since we're having to choose a, a, a non playoff year, uh, and I got to tell you, my, my number one choice is going to be pretty unconventional too, to say the least. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I think that for on a personal basis, there's something about that year uh, and, and obviously September 11th and all that stuff that happened as well. I mean, but, but it was like, there's something about that era and, and, you know, the Mike Zimmer defense and, and the just complete ineptitude on offense and the, and that comparison that is so, I guess, foreign to me and also reminds me of like rock bottom for my, for my fandom uh, that, that it, it holds kind of a, a special place in my heart somehow in, in a <laughs> terrible, terrible way. <laughs> Well, I think one of the key life events that you're not talking about, Landon, is the fact that that was the year you had an opportunity briefly to work for Carol Baskin of Tiger King fame. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess it was 2001. Yes, that's right. It was. It was around then. So uh, I am burying the lead there that, uh, yes, while I was living in Tampa, I did temporarily work at Carol Baskin's uh uh tiger uh well it was, it was called wild wildlife on easy street at the time but uh yeah it was uh it was a trip so i never met carol so we can't get too far off on that but uh uh having never met, met carol i'm pretty still pretty sure she killed that dude <laughs> um so i'm gonna offer a couple honorable mentions before we before we get to our uh, number ones uh, a couple honorable mentions for me one that's already been mentioned uh danny i think mentioned it 2007 that was a great season great and i think i think that defense the Cowboys defense with um, obviously where, but remember Jason Ferguson got injured in the in the first game in the opener against the Giants for the year, and this unknown rookie Jay Ratliff had this, or he wasn't a rookie, but an unknown player who hadn't really got a lot of 
got a lot of playing time yet. Jay Ratliff came in and became a superstar, and Greg Ellis, and they were they were just they had a lot of really really interesting and, and talented players. Not much in the secondary though. They were they were pretty yeah. weak in the secondary. And my other my other favorite is uh, they they did go as far as the Super Bowl. It was a 1975 team. That was a young fun team. A bunch of bunch of rookies. Nobody was really expecting much of them. They were like the team that had, that had been really dominant early in the 70s, late in the 60s, had all aged and retired, and they were young, and they were replaced by a bunch of kids, and no one had any, any idea uh, how they'd turn out. And crazy Roger Starbuck led them to the Super Bowl. It was amazing. And they just d- demolished the, the Rams in the NFC Championship game, and that was the game that sealed my fandom, frankly. Um, other honorable mentions before we get to our number ones from either of you fine gentlemen? You know, I mean... It's hard not to mention, you know, the Super Bowl years, obvious. Those are obvious, I guess, you know, and, and I guess that's that's a huge reason that we were kind of avoiding those to a certain degree. Uh, I will mention, I'm sure one of you will probably mention this, or maybe you won't, I don't know, um, the 20, again, I'm terrible with the years, 2014, I think, the year with uh, Romo and Witten and Dez, and, um, and uh, I've already forgotten already forgotten the running back's name Murray DeMarco, DeMarco Murray, Murray. Mar- DeMarco Murray wow uh I, and, and honestly when I pictured him in my head I pictured him in an Eagles uniform <laughs> so that's not good um but I, I just think that there was something about the 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 feel and the camaraderie of that team that was great and um you know obviously I felt like everyone felt like it was Romo's best chance to kind of do that and win win the Super Bowl um, and obviously we all know how that ended. So uh, I'm mentioning that an honorable mention. And the reason I didn't bring it in is because the pain, the end was so painful uh, uh, that it's, it's still kind of hard to, to talk about it, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. For me, honorable, honorable mention would be the, and this was before my time a little bit, or at least I didn't, I don't really have any memory of watching the actual game because I was real young, but it's gotta be the, the last, uh, Steelers Super Bowl and the Cowboys in the 70s where to me I honestly thought the Cowboys were the better team. I've watched you know a lot of the highlights and stuff and there there were so many things the Cowboys you know beat themselves up in that game to where it could have went a different way and honestly and you guys Rabs you guys do you think if the Cowboys win that Super Bowl and not Pittsburgh that the Cowboys are the team of the 70s not the Steelers cuz they would have as many Super Bowls and they were winning more than they were that that decade too. So uh, to me, that's just like a very. It's weird how everyone thinks of Steelers dominant seventies, but I don't. They were really close to that not being the case. And you know, I think that Super Bowl, um, you know, was the difference maker there. I, I yeah, agree. It's a good, I agree. It's a good yeah, one. That's a good point. That, that was a, that of... was a that was a tough one. That, the, the the Cowboys those two years like led the league in offense and defense. I mean, they were so good, yeah. so good. It was a real turning point, real, real real split in the road in both those two teams' dynasties' history, for sure, mm-hmm. no, without a mm-hmm. doubt. Mm-hmm. No question. Uh, so I'll actually I'll, I'll start off with my number one. Um, there was a season you were just talking about, Landon. It was 2014. Mm-hmm. I think it was the most enjoyable non-playoff season for me, for, I think for a variety of reasons. Uh, if you'll notice, all the, ones, all the ones I chose were ones where we didn't have high expectations. I think when we don't always have – we don't come into the season with high expectations – and there's a series of surprises where you say, oh, this team isn't bad. Oh, this seems pretty good. What? This seems really, wait a second, this seems good. You know, that's, and, and that sort of unfolds over weeks. That can make a season particularly, I think, particularly enjoyable. Um, 
I think for, you know, for any, for anyone who's picked like 2016, I think the same thing, you can say the same thing about yeah. that season because, you know, we were, hmm. we were like, Oh God, we're doomed because his Romo got hurt. Um, I didn't pick that, that season for other reasons, but 2014, as you said, I think it was Romo's best chance. I think that that team, unlike a lot of other Cowboys teams of recent vintage was really starting to pick up momentum in that last month. Like the defense in, in, in December, had an unbelievable number of like sacks and turnovers and, and they were, they were, you know, blowing people out. Like after that Philadelphia loss on Thanksgiving, they just started rolling people and they were, they were beating good, like playoff quality teams by like 15, 20 points, just yep. demolish the Colts. And, you know, and, and, um, and they had, they were firing all, on all cylinders. They were really, really ready to go. And so, uh, and I think, you know, Romo's, I, I loved Tony Romo, uh, you know, a lot of heartbreak with Romo, but as you said, I think that that not only had they found you know found a running game for him, but there was something about like the maturity of his game, like everything just kind of came together and crystallized, and he was a master out there. You know, he was totally in command. I think all of all of the things that he talked about over the course of his career, where he was you know adding little nuances to his game, they all like found you know like they all sort of aligned and and came to fruition. <clears throat> excuse me if you remember later in the season they started off by having a monstrous running game and really relying on demarco murray and later in the season the running game kind of kind of yeah it really tailed off yeah he, he got worn he got worn out a lot and i think the <clears throat> the offensive line kind of stopped being as effective <clears throat> excuse me guys and um and roma really rose up and, and started to carry that team and he was yeah. incredible really incredible that last so, month, um, he, he completely destroyed that narrative that he couldn't win in December, that he couldn't play well. I mean, that was that was something that people were talking about a lot. And then he goes in, Murray starts to tail off. I, I even remember feeling kind of the anxiety of the fact that Murray clearly was was just not the same player at the end of the year. And Romo just turned into a different player. Like, I mean, he just we thought he was good, but honestly, I thought that that was the beginning of that final form Romo, you know, and, and, and honestly, he, he had never looked like that uh, previous to that, where he was making the big plays and uh, holding on to the football, not giving the ball away. So, yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. That was an incredible year. Unfortunately, we didn't get two or three more years of that. Cause that, you know, in some yeah. ways he was, he he'd matured into that elite, yeah, that elite absolutely. level quarterback. And then we, and then frankly, never played again. Right. right? Yeah. That was, uh, so Dan, Danny, what's your uh, what's your number one? So my number one is going to be the 1981 season. So I mean, t- for me, that that was the year that that, that kind of pulled me into everything. I mean, I, I I remember the season, couple seasons before, but very kind of you know faintly. But that one right there was a big year. You know that there was so much, so many great things happening that year. I mean, we had Dorsett went over sixteen hundred yards. You had the the wide receiver trio of Pearson, Hill, and Butch Johnson. I mean, the offense was just super fun to watch. They they, they would just trick plays. Um, the defense too was was super fun to watch. They had so many interceptions that year. You know, they led the league with 37, 37 picks. Uh, they had twenty six this year. They led the league this year with twenty six. I mean, just. You know, we talk about Trayvon Diggs' 11 picks this year. I mean, Wall, that was the year Walls had his 11, but Dennis Thurman had nine. Michael Downs had seven. They had 53 turnovers that year. I mean, that, that is just absurd. But the 81 season special to me because, you know, it just kind of it drew me in. It made me love the Cowboys. Of course, it was just that, that you know, you guys know how that season ended. Um, you know, it, it's a... Uh, 
the highlights are shown continuously again and again with uh i, I believe that was the, the season that ended with uh, montana trying to throw the ball out of the end zone but not yep. having a strong enough arm yeah he was off he was yeah he it just kind of yeah just he was off target and then i don't know I don't, I don't know what happened but i think he got bailed out by something and uh strangely enough everyone calls that the catch and i don't know if you guys agree but to me that game was won by the tackle you know the, on the very yeah. next play with you know when when Danny White hit Drew Pearson on that deep slant over, and he was gone if uh, if mm-hmm. they didn't, like, get horse collared there. I mean, uh, so, I mean, even with what happened with Montana and, and Clark, it's still the Cowboys had a chance there to, to pull off the win and and, uh, and beat the Bengals in the Super Bowl. Um, but so that the 81 season is, is my favorite just because it kind of, like, solidified me as this is the team I want to be rooting for for the rest of my life. A great one, Landon. You get pride of place. What's uh, you're, you're the last one up? What's your favorite? Well, I gotta season? say, the, it, the, the my choice really wraps in. It's not. It's a. It's a anticlimactic choice, I think. But it is a season that really wraps in a lot of what we are talking about, right? Like the idea of uh, expectations elevated. The idea of 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 maybe not a, a, a Super Bowl winning season, but a season that you walk out of feeling really good about your team, right? And, and, and we talked about a year that brought us kind of into fandom fully, right? I, I, I'm getting a sense that I may be slightly younger than, than Danny where I, I, because I was two in 81. So I, I don't remember it. I was a Cowboys fan wearing onesies. But I was young, right? So for me, my 1981 was 1991, the year that the Cowboys went 11 and five. And and I think we thought that this team could have been good the year before. I think 90 showed us, hey, hey, we're on our way. But I think the idea that we could go 11 and five the next year, have Troy Aikman miss four games and win all four with backup quarterback. Uh, and then go into the playoffs and win a game. Like, I don't think that, you know, at that point, having been, you know, I was born in 79, uh, all the Cowboys glory days was all behind me. And I was was all kind of being told to me. And I had never really experienced a, a Cowboys team that was good enough to be considered anything, really. I mean, you know, they, they like those 80s teams, they made some noise, but it was never quite like this, right? Uh, and for them to go in and win a playoff game and, 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 and again, win all those games without Troy, uh, go and win a playoff game. They got, you know, I remember they lost that Detroit game really badly and it got out of hand. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, it, it, that the score makes it look ugly. But the one thing I definitely remember more than anything was leaving that season and, and excited it's like that, like not, not only just excited, but wanting to know more, wanting to like become like, you know, interested in Cowboys football and more than just, oh, it's on, I'm watching it because it's Sunday and that's what we do. Like that, that was the year that I think it really fired off, you know, my brain cells and really became uh, more than just like a, you know, a birthright fan, a, a, an actual, actual obsessed with the Cowboys fan. Yeah. But- that, uh, that's a great, great pick. Uh, the game where they went into Washington and beat the undefeated Redskins yeah. 24-21, but actually really dominated the game. The Redskins scored a couple of late touchdowns, and that was the game where uh, you were just referencing where Aikman went down, Steve Berline comes in, didn't miss a beat. I mean, the stones on that dude just came in casual as can be, hit Michael Irvin, you know, I mean, and, and Jimmy Johnson went for it on fourth down like five times, yep. and it was just such a gutsy, ballsy performance. And then 
that began the win streak that, they, that lasted the rest of the regular season and into the first game of the playoffs where they beat playoff team after playoff team. So it wasn't just like they beat the Redskins and then, and then beat a bunch of patsies. They beat the saints. I, I'm trying to remember who all they beat. They beat the Pittsburgh, saints. They, they beat Philly. Atlanta and they, was beat, the they beat Philly in Philly. They beat, yeah. um, uh, they beat Atlanta who was a playoff yeah. caliber team on like the, one of the last games of the season. And so they just, they just, I mean, tough game after tough game, and they just rose up and and won most of them pretty handily. I mean, it was, you know, a couple of them were were kind of you know back and forth, but most of them they they had in hand, and they were just such a good young tough team. Really, really great choice. And then to uh, win in Chicago, in Chicago, yeah, in, yes, you know, in, yes. in December, like that just showed you, like, okay, this isn't just the glamour team. Like that showed you the Jimmy Johnson era toughness of this team, and to win a slugfest like that, I thought was just that was super impressive and, and uh, yeah it, it, it almost the Detroit game was almost an afterthought because at that point everything had been like a cherry on top of the season yeah. and you realize this young core had really come of age and suddenly you're staring down uh, the the chance of of potentially being a, a Super Bowl favorite next year mm-hmm. um and 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 it was really it was really a great time to be a Cowboys fan yeah, 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 and and then of course uh, the first game of that next year was the was the Monday Nighter against the Redskins, and they just exploded. And we were like, "Okay, all this right, is it. yeah." And I remember that game too. Like I remember very much because, was, like I said, this is what fired it off, and I was so obsessed all off season. And then we get to this team, and that that uh, that was the first taste, right, of being like, "Oh my God, yes, you're right. They are really good," and 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 that feeling of 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 the thrill right of like oh this 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 really really could be something yeah it's something that i'm sure the rest of us will be chasing the rest of our lives yeah it's something we chase isn't it uh yep. <laughs> we all have a habit um well listen i i, I want to encourage everybody out there to try to remember those games and those feelings because you know it's really easy <laughs> uh for as cowboy fans and especially as cowboy fans you know if you're on social media etc where everyone else is bemoaning the fact that, you know, we haven't won anything since 1995. There's a lot of, there's a lot of really fun moments. And so I encourage all of us to just try to take a moment and hang on to them. Um, Landon, buddy, it was been, it's been great having you on. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, tell the folks, uh, we're going to tell the folks where, where they can get a hold of you uh, on Twitter. You're uh, at McCoolBCB. You can find him on the Lockdown Cowboys podcast, which for my money is the best Cowboys podcast out there. Okay. And um, very, very occasionally on the Best Coast Boys podcast as well. Less and less occasionally, I would <laughs> we, say, we, at this point. We'd like yes. to hear that more often, if possible. Landon, thanks so much. We hope to have you back on soon, buddy. Yeah, it's nice talking thanks, to you, guys. Landon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. I'll be glad to come on anytime. Well, that was great. I can't imagine a more fitting first guest, Danny. Yeah, no, I mean, it, was, it was awesome for me, too, because like I said, you know, you mentioned that that was my first podcast experience was hanging with you guys. So just it was just perfect to have have McCool's uh, join us. Um, but, you know, that that was this week. Grabs, uh, what do we have going on next week? I'm glad you asked. So we'll uh, have as our guest next week, John Williams, one of my favorite, favorite Cowboys followers on Twitter. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit about Dak's career. Um, We'll be talking about off-season planning and more. So please join us for that. Yes, that is it for our show today. Make sure to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we've got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have Cowboys Oi with Mauricio Rodriguez. And Sunday we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check those out. But that is it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us, Rabs. That was great. Uh, You know, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. 
stay true to the silver and blue, and we will catch you later. Class dismissed. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.